Conversation with the Drunk As I sauntered out the front door, I was ambushed. By the sky, with its moon and stars and sweeping vault, and by the ring square with its town hall, its church, and its Virgin Mary on her column. I calmly stepped from the shade into the moonlight, unbuttoned my overcoat, and warmed up. Then, raising my hands, I silenced the soughing of the night and began to ponder. What is it you all are doing, pretending to be real? Are you trying to make me believe that I am unreal, standing strangely on the green pavement? Yet it's been so long since you were real, you, Sky, and you, Ringsquare, have never been real. It is true you are all still superior to me, but only when I leave you in peace. Thank goodness, Moon, you are no longer Moon, but perhaps it's negligent of me to keep calling you who are named Moon, Moon. Why are you no longer so frolicsome when I call you forgotten paper lantern in a strange color? And why do you almost draw back when I call you Virgin Mary on the column? And I no longer discern your menacing stance, Virgin Mary on the column, when I call you moon that sheds yellow light. It really seems to do you no good when someone thinks about you. Your courage and your health start waning. God, how wholesome it must be when a thinker learns from a drunk. Why is everything hushed? I believe the wind is gone and these cottages, which often roll across the square as if on tiny wheels, are completely pounded down. Hush, hush. One can't see the thin black line that usually divides them from the ground. And I broke into a run. I ran around the large square three times, unhindered, and since I encountered no drunk, I ran toward Emperor Charles Street without reducing my speed or feeling any strain. My shadow often ran, smaller than I, along the wall as if in a ditch between wall and street. When I passed the firehouse, I heard noise from the small ring, and when I reached it, I saw a drunk standing by the ironwork of the fountain, stretching his arms out level and stamping his feet in clogs on the ground. First I halted until I was breathing more calmly. Then I walked over to him, doffed my top hat, and introduced myself. Good evening, gentle nobleman. I am twenty-three years old, but I have no name as yet. You, however, most likely come with an astonishing, indeed, a singable name from that great city of Paris. You are redolent with the quite unnatural smell of the dissolute French court. With your colored eyes, you must have viewed those great ladies who stand on the high, bright terrace, turning ironically at their narrow waists, while the bedizened trains of their gowns, spreading out on the stairs, trail off on the sand in the garden. Isn't it true that long poles are set up everywhere, and that footmen in impudently cut grey tailcoats and in white knee-breeches climb those poles, wrapping their legs around them, but with their torsos often leaning back and to the side, for they have to pull up ropes to hoist huge grey linen sheets from the ground and span them in the air, because the great lady desires a hazy morning. When he belched, 
I said, almost startled. Is it really true, sir, that you come from our Paris, from that stormy Paris, ah, from that effusive hailstorm? When he belched again, I said, flustered, I know I am being shown a great honor. And with nimble fingers I buttoned my overcoat. Then I spoke in a fervent but timid voice. I know you don't regard me as worthy of an answer, but my life would be filled with weeping if I didn't question you today. Let me ask you, sir, who are so nicely spruced up, is it true what they say? Are there people in Paris who consist entirely of ornate clothing? And are there houses in Paris that have nothing but portals? And is it true that on summer days the sky is a fleeting blue, embellished only by small white heart-shaped clouds that are pasted on?